You're listening to The Only Constant, where we explore how minor change brings lasting hope. On this episode of the podcast, we spoke with Andrew Bourne. Andrew is earning his BFA in film production from Florida State University. And beyond film, Andrew has dabbled in various art forms ranging from acting, improv comedy, and sketch writing. Andrew highlighted just how many layers there are to filmmaking during our conversation. Production requires intense collaboration. Directors need to understand how to communicate effectively with actors. And producers or production designers can sometimes be forgotten about by the audience. We also talk about how film is changing amidst modern technologies, and we look at how film influences and shares its DNA with graphic novels. At some point, we even dive into Andrew's thoughts on religion and explore how film can influence modern audiences in much the same way as faith. Perhaps the most valuable thing Andrew shows us is that a sense of humor can get us through anything. While it may not change the outcome, laughing with others during a difficult situation always brings us closer together. Stay open, stay active, and keep listening. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going good. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. I means mean, a lot. <laughs> What'd you say? I said it means a lot. Yes, um, I appreciate the <laughs> yeah the invite. Um, Before we start, yeah. Can we get your your name? Mm-hmm. You already said your name, but let's get your yeah. full name and your preferred pronouns. Okay, cool. Um, Andrew David Bourne, but most of, yeah, that's my middle name. Oh wow. Um, and he him pronouns. Cool. cool. And uh, we know that you're a film major, um, BFA. Yes. In, in uh, what's the official title of your major? Um, official title is. BFA in film production because um, there's an animation subset. Right. So yeah, officially um, senior senior vibes. Oh my gosh! Um, oh, specialization yeah. in directing is like the comma. Oh, so you, so you went the directing route? Um, yeah, I know there's like cinematography. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably what like is there like yeah. lighting or something? Mm-hmm. Or like yeah. Set? Um, there's been a, there's been like one production design specialist and then design, yeah. a lot of producing specialists and, um, cine specialists, um, and some visual effects people, but our class has like a crazy spread of a lot of different specializations. Yeah. Cause most of the time at FSU people pretty much like say, I want to direct, um, yeah. I want to be a director. Um, but I feel like that took off after Barry Jenkins. Yeah. Everybody was like, I want to be the next him <laughs> but i feel like right. film has so many different jobs yeah um and that's the thing is like i feel like ultimately you know um whether it's like making stuff on the side like for fun like i'll i'll find some niche in like the working part of it and just kind of like enjoy enjoy that um yeah working up as a pa and and all that stuff but mm. yeah we have like like one person's doing sound, one person's doing visual effects, editing. So we have like a dude sound. a lot of variety. Yeah, sound is so cool. Sound design, sound mixing. Um, we have like a, one of our faculty members is uh, did like the sound design for Wally and oh, wow. uh, um, Super Eight and all that. Oh my gosh, of, that's and, really cool! Uh, I love Super Star Wars, Eight. Yeah. The Force Awakens, or something. Oh really? Um, so yeah, he's he's very cool, but um, yeah, it refers to 
uh, Spielberg, like by Steven. There's like a picture of him. <laughs> That's how you know you made it in the film world. Right. If you can refer to Spielberg's first name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how did you get to the film school? Um, yeah, it was kind of like a weird uh, journey just because like I was from, you know, a suburb of Atlanta and had like a video production class in high school that I was really involved in. Um, and then just kind of heard about Florida State. Um on that like list of film schools, uh, the 25, you know, best film schools, Hollywood reporter list. Um, and then from there just kind of applied, didn't get in my freshman year. And so I came to FSU it's kind of like the, you know, best option that I had, um, compared to like the schools in New York or LA or like the other ones on the East coast. Um, Mm -hmm. and so kind of just applied, um, again, my freshman year when I was at FSU and kind of used that year to experiment with a lot of different other stuff and do improv and sketch comedy and, and Oh, that's right. Yeah. Did a stage uh, musical. That was so odd. Yeah. You were an back. actor first. That's right. We talked about this on set. Oh Forgot yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, so that was, so yeah, I don't know. Like it's been a very, like I've done, I've always had kind of different disciplines, I guess. Like I used to, do um you know on screen acting in atlanta a little bit or just like or auditioning (laughs) not not necessarily getting roles but auditioning for (laughs) you've already done more stuff in that area Um, than i have though uh no but uh, (laughs) um but that yeah i mean just kind of uh applied again and was a lot you know volunteering on a lot of sets and then have been doing the film production major and like slowly over the years have done less and less improv and sketch comedy, mm. you know? Um, and that's how you guys know each other, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's cool because, mm. you know, you were like, you were really good at all the stuff you did. I remember I appreciate that. every time Andrew did something, <laughs> he did it well. So that's nice. um, that was cool that you were able to, uh, experience so many different aspects of mm-hmm. fsu yeah and then still end up doing the thing that you really wanted to do and I'm, i would imagine that <clears throat> improv and sketch comedy kind of i mean i don't know mm-hmm. i'm as, i'm assuming yeah it probably gave you a lot of really cool mm-hmm. things to bring into film because like yeah have you always had an interest in comedy or did doing the comedy here kind of bring like Mm. make you more uh comfortable doing a comedy film or something like that yeah um i think like i probably in high school was making a little bit more variety of of things and then um had always like an interest in in comedy um don't know like exactly where that comes from but um in college definitely improv and sketch has definitely like informed all of the um all of the like choices as a director. Cause I feel like some um, of like my uh, peers in film school are a lot more and the film school kind of teaches you to be a little bit more um, structural, you know, and like have every line down and have every, you know, moment planned out. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that like the improv of it all kind of, um, using that as like a directing tool has been really nice is like, you know, giving an actor like a couple of different choices for a line um, or, you know, saying, you know, a, a piece of business that you come up with on set. Um, and I think that that like, like um, 
uh, in a comedy film makes like the jokes per minute a lot higher when you like just start adding things that don't take away from the story but they're just like added little bits and that mm. kind of thing yeah. um and yeah i don't know it just i guess like the idea of like game and improv translates very well to film the idea that like there's like a funny thing about the scene yeah and you're just kind of heightening that funny thing over time For sure because digital sketches are like almost all basically that. just yeah. game you know right. you just continue building on the joke right there's just yeah it's just like here's the absurd point of view and here's the well that's what like comedy films are the first mm-hmm. one that comes to mind like Step Brothers, a film like that mm-hmm. every scene is game yeah pretty much mm-hmm. every scene is like what is the joke in this scene and how can we improve upon it? like like i would say <laughs> don't touch the, my drum set yeah <laughs> exactly and then it turns into him rubbing his balls on the yeah. drum set like like yeah. ridiculous but, but and it's yeah. Fun, yeah it's fun when like um someone starts out as the uh um point of re you know voice of reason and then they become the absurd person and then right, it, like switches back and forth because in that scene like john c Riley is like kind of the point of reason because mm-hmm. he's like just don't do this thing yeah and then he and then it all yeah it all explodes that's cool <laughs> that's cool yeah. yeah yeah so i know that in the film school you have the opportunity to explore a lot of different areas of filmmaking yeah. and i've had the opportunity to like go inside go inside like the sound booth and stuff mm-hmm. like that and like where everybody where they do the uh, the foley for yeah. the movies and it's so cool having on the floor, there are just like boxes of rocks right. and just like yeah. random instruments all over the room. Dirty room. Ra- <laughs> Dirtiest room in the film school. And then it was just like so interesting to me because it's like there are film school students who are in here stomping on rocks sometimes yeah. for their education. Yeah. And I'm wondering. <laughs> and, and at and 2 a.m., you're wondering, <laughs> what am I doing with my <laughs> Yeah, and I know you guys have really long days. Yeah. Um, but through exploring like these different areas of mm-hmm. film, was it like, was directing something that you're always like, I know that I need to be a director. Like it was mm-hmm. like, it called out to your heart or, or is it like as exploring mm-hmm. the film school, you kind of found that directing was something that called out to you. Maybe mm-hmm. I want to, maybe cause you were an actor first. Did you mm-hmm. enjoy the idea of working with actors on a one-on-one basis? Yeah. I, I think that's definitely part of it. I wouldn't say that I'm super like great at communicating with actors. Like that's something that a lot of student filmmakers just kind of struggle with because it's all, heady soft skills and everything else in film is pretty much hard skills you know it's like Very i have practical. a i have a light meter to be able to know how many you know meters of light you know whatever but like with actors it's like very like it's you know it's human yeah <laughs> um, so it's just yeah. different um but no i i think that i, I it probably just comes from like a place of um just wanting to to um have like a vision and, and interact with all these different people um, mm-hmm. to, to make that happen. And, and that's like part of the way where it's very similar to improv or sketch is that the collaborative aspect of it and like mm-hmm. working with all your department heads for that kind of thing is probably what kind of um, I was taken towards. Um, but mm. yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that uh, I had some, I said somewhere where I was going with uh the idea of um oh um i was gonna say that producing is something that i've actually found more in film school oh is like being like for rose's film or for like yeah other other thesis films is like yeah yeah. the kind of logistical side of like making everything happen and 
tracking down locations and, and actors and and making sure everything runs smoothly is so important to a film set. And it's kind of like a um, a thing that's like hard to do to do well, but like when it is, it's like so helpful. So yeah. that's yeah. something that I've liked doing also, especially for my friends' projects that I enjoy the story of, um, yeah. like Rose's film or, mm. you know, other I ones. I feel like when people who aren't involved in the film world or don't know much about the film world, because like I, I know a lot about mm. film, yeah. I, you know, I wanted to do it. And for sure. Um, I still write, so like it's still something that could be yeah <clears throat> and on the table. Um, yeah. So, you know, people don't necessarily always think about how important producers are in the film because mm-hmm. most people, when you think of a film, they think of, of the director. That's right. really it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I would say the hierarchy that people place stuff on, at least in my experience, is like who directed the film, mm-hmm. and then and then maybe. Some people would be like, who produced the film? But I mm-hmm. feel like maybe some people would be like, who wrote this film? Yeah, that's usually, yeah. And then producers kind of like forgotten about sometimes. Mm-hmm. They're just yeah. not even really talked about. <clears throat> right. But like, so important. And also, like DP, director of right. photography. Yes. Dude, I love seeing yeah. who the director of photography is on a film because, or especially if I really liked how it was shot. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's just, that's one of the most incredible yeah. parts of, uh, a film mm. just yeah just like the shots yeah so, right and i want to i actually have a question for yeah. you could you really because i we have we've never gone over this and you're mm-hmm. our first filmmaker that oh, okay. we've had on here mm-hmm. um at least officially you know um and i would like to know if you could give us a brief rundown of like the different positions that you'd mm-hmm. see on set so mm-hmm. like i know that there's a PA, yeah. there's first AD, right. second AD, there's PD, there's yeah. DP. <laughs> so, right. so yeah. like, what are these things and what do they yeah, do? For sure. Uh, I'll try to, like, keep it pretty brief, but um, producers just, like, all the logistical smooth operations. First AD is kind of timekeeper. Uh, gaffer's the lighting person. Um, key grip is assisting the lighting person in shaping the light, so, like, putting diffusion on the light or or all the different pieces and equipment that kind of rig the lights like the grip would set up the way that the lights would um be. you know yeah would like be stuck to the walls okay um but at fsu it's very you know collaborative Everybody's between kind of doing stuff. exactly um okay and then the um the pd is the like main props and costumes set dresser person uh, production design production design <laughs> <laughs> that's right um and then under them is the art director which is just basically their assistant um and on a real movie set the pd is kind of like the over the puppet master and so they are maybe not even on set and you might have like four art directors on set and the production designer might be like doing the next day work and like setting up and the art directors are are in charge of being like let's make sure everything on this set right is where it should be and how it should look looking at the the production designer designed how that would be yeah exactly okay. right. right and sometimes like for a movie that's really dependent on the production design they might be hired even before the dp mm. um, and they're kind of one of those positions that's overlooked in terms of like popular culture but they might be well, they dude, might be like the first hire like a wes anderson movie and they're so or something important like that. because you know you take a movie like star wars yeah at least the original ones i mean i'm sure production design is now in many ways <clears throat> kind of a <clears throat> Maybe it's a 
visual, not mm-hmm. what am I trying to say? Like a more digital position. Yeah. Or maybe those are just straight up VFX artists. But yeah, what I was going to say is, you know, on a movie like Star Wars, where the sets are so much a part of right. the world, mm-hmm. and especially in all of those 80s, 70s, anything made really before, you know, like 95, when yeah. computers started being a thing. Green screens right. and blue screens, um, all those things. But even then, you still have production design on green screen films with like yeah some stuff but yeah yeah and it's it, no, definitely an overlooked position for people sure. love movies because of how it looks yeah mm-hmm. yeah and like you know the color of the walls is gonna make it look so different you know yeah. and it's like the relationship between a dp and a production designer is really important too just like mm. making making like the vision you know come to life and it's like if it's blue walls it's gonna feel different than you know if it's a different Go yellow on. wall <laughs> yeah um so you got production design and then from there from there who do you got um yeah the second ad at fsu is you know mostly in charge of paperwork and signing extras in and actors in um as well as and that's second assistant director yeah second assistant director mm. um and that's like pretty much the the most of the positions there's also the first ac first assistant camera who mm. is just like Pulling focus and stuff. Pulling right? focus, yeah. Um, and then building the camera and moving the camera around. Um, and then the second assistant camera is usually the person that's clapping the slate to Ooh. make sure that it's script soup script as well. Soup, yeah, script supervisor. the continuity. Mm-hmm. Super big job, should not be one person. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's yeah. like it's a lot they're overseeing that. so many things uh, <laughs> eyelines, continuity. Uh, and then they're also just like taking down the information for the edit, like exactly what f-stop you were at, exactly what the camera height was. That so was if you do lot. need to do visual effects, you you'll be able to match it. Or if there's a second unit that's getting the character's hands, you know, pushing a button, they know like what filter to use. So much and all that stuff. stuff. There's so much that goes behind making a film. It is ridiculous. Yes, yeah. and I and I am uh, sorry to go bore you know bore you with a little. Uh, not boring things, me but, whatsoever. Um, oh my gosh! I mean, yeah. I asked. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I think it's definitely. I think people really <laughs> like watching. I, at least I do. I love watching behind the scenes. Yeah. Stuff, and I think, you know, films are something that literally everybody enjoys. Mm-hmm. Everybody true. likes at least yeah. one movie. Mm-hmm. You know, more. I would say everybody likes at least more than one movie. Even if everybody it's a movie likes, about nature. Yeah, <laughs> they're right. like yeah but love that movie you know yeah. so <laughs> i think i think and film is one of those art forms that's like dominant it's dominant but it's also i think it's such a modern art form obviously mm-hmm. that is like mythical almost in, yeah. in, in in the culture because painting you know people every you know that's a great art form too that people really love but there's yeah. something about film that i think makes everybody really like excited mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm. not that painting yeah. doesn't but what i mean is for the masses as a whole right everybody's like oh my god there's a movie coming it's, out and it's for some reason my mind kind of compares it to like when you see some kind of crazy structure that was built mm-hmm. by humans and it's like how did they do that you like, know what i'm saying like, like it like Avengers. the end product is so cool but yeah they have literally no idea what went it like all the engineering that went into making it and i know yeah. it's not nearly as like as far as the scale goes for its construction, right. but 
Sometimes the budgets of movies right. are like ridiculous. It's you know? probably yeah. I mean, it's probably the most expensive art form, and it's yeah. the most like mass produced because a painting, you know, it's one person, and like there are copies of paintings, but you mostly go to a museum and have a very you know intimate yeah, experience. Exactly, you can't, individual. You can't see. A, I mean, you can look up a painting online. I guess there's mm-hmm. online databases, but I know what you're saying. It's like. Right. You can see Eternals in any city in the United States today. Right, right. Or you could see Avengers Endgame in it, literally every city yeah. across mm. the globe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Major city, at least. Right. <laughs> I mean, there will be one day when movies will not be the dominant art form, or movies and TV. I guess I'm grouping them together, you know? Because yeah. I feel like... What do you, you think know, it'll be? I don't know, because VR has not taken off, really. Like, people... But, oh, you know, my... You know what, you're you know so th- right, You know though? what I think, though? I think VR, I think movies and TV are just going to shift into VR mm-hmm. to where, so this is a crazy thing. There was a, a game, I forgot what it was called, but my roommate in freshman year, he yeah. had a VR. Was it the Oculus? It was Oculus or something. Yeah. And he had like the most state-of-the-art one in 2017 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was a game, <clears throat> I don't remember what it was called, but it was kind of one of the first games where you were, you were in an online environment with other yeah. people. And you could like play basketball with somebody in VR mm. and just like, <laughs> it was kind of cool. Yeah. But it was also really crazy. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like what, uh, Zuckerberg's talking about with oh, the whole meta, meta thing. thing yeah. where you're like, you can go do anything you want with the person in this right. environment. Mm. But what I'm getting at is there was a, a whole part of that game that was called, like, it was like a movie theater. Oh. So you would go into VR and you just, sit in a movie theater yeah. and watch a movie with people. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like, I, that's how movies could start to be. Yeah, they're already making the, the shift after COVID. You know, to you can watch movies at home. Right. Yeah. So like at some point, when if if VR becomes a super dominant thing with everybody, super yeah. like regular thing, why wouldn't they just say? Hey, go watch a movie with your friends in a virtual movie mm, theater, and you can yeah. look over and see your friend and be like, "This is crazy." Right. And look that's, back. Yeah, that's so odd. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I, yeah. I don't think we should be doing that. But yeah, I mean, it's just like like I remember I went to a film festival and there was like a VR part of it, and you could kind of select what VR movie you wanted to watch, <laughs> and it's like it's not as like becoming a thing i think as vr developers wanted it to be but there was some there was some cool things like i did one where it was like a i was in a house and there was like somebody that was entering the house that wasn't supposed to be in there and then there was another character that like didn't know that that person was there and so you get to look around the entire house oh, so and see like, like a, where the where the guy is uh, you get to follow immersive the, movie yeah exactly exactly <laughs> And then there was another one that was like a documentary about prisoners, and I started crying because I was just like in because I just felt very like oh my gosh. inside of a, a, a like a real um, yeah. you know penitentiary. But um, yeah. wow, really yeah. fools the senses. Yeah, and it was um, yeah. I mean, it was like pretty like you could see the seams, I guess. Like you could see like the little bugs or whatever um, where the VR was like not working correctly but mm-hmm. it was still it was still like a very it's so cool, new too right. so it's like always getting better i haven't done vr in like a year at least yeah so I'm, i'd be interested to see like 50 years from now mm-hmm. it's gonna be crazy i mean yeah. ready player one i right. think that is a, a that's great what everybody's example. saying meta is gonna be it's gonna be this like 
you just go in and then you're just in a whole like the oasis yeah 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 i'm kind of scared right because yeah. like vr is is at where movies were in the 1920s or the 1910s yeah, very so it's like you, you know, know by the 2100 it's now that oh we're on gosh. this how do yeah. you feel about vr because i feel like it's something that could be the next step to being like let's separate ourselves from the world even further like yeah how, how do you but it also it, it can it'll do so many amazing i understand the argument for it mm-hmm. because you know your 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 mom could live in you know maine and yeah. you could live in, in the keys the key like key west of yeah. florida and you guys can connect over vr and like play, oh. play a game together or something like that oh okay so how do you feel about it um just as a human yeah i i don't i mean i think that um phones have become such an appendage of ourselves you know and mm-hmm. like if you don't have your phone it's like a big deal yeah 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 yeah. like weird you you have it you start to have like a sense of panic when you're looking for your phone um and it's like i don't i don't have a phone right now um so i'm sure like vr will become something like that but i think that like um that that thing that people say where it's like we when social media was created like they created the car but not the seatbelt you heard that expression oh yeah i actually haven't heard that it's it it just like it it makes sense because it's like yeah there is no safeguards in place to make sure that this is like not giving people a lot of anxiety or anything like that. right and i think just now within the last two or three years people are starting to maybe like start to put into place things that yeah because you know like i think uh instagram removed you know you could go in and see how many people liked somebody's post but now when you see somebody's post it just says and this others. person and others yeah well i mean not always you can still see well uh, it, d- I mean, it depends on the but what i'm saying is that's like one implementation to right. sort of try and uh right diminish this whole like competition right mm-hmm. obviously if you're a public figure you don't really care right if people are seeing the numbers but on a personal account you know mm-hmm. yeah or just like how many people have saved your photo saved your photo yeah, yeah. and that's like a weird thing viewed your story mm-hmm. it's yeah. kind of weird you start i mean you start comparing yourself to other people and it's like oh yeah they got they got 300 likes. I only got 150 likes, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it also, this is, like, different, but it also becomes this weird performative thing where you're, like, you know, putting, like, like putting something on your story just because a lot of other people are putting some sort of, like, social thing on their story or, like, oh, you know, I got to have this amount of social awareness um, posts yes. and, you know, compared to oh. pictures of a beach or a dog or a yes. you know, yeah, yeah, thing yeah. like that. Um, wow, yeah, that gets pretty in-depth there. I never I never thought about it to that scale, but that's like a whole other layer. People are really planning out, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I need, to, I need to make sure people know I'm this socially aware so that it's okay for me to post mm-hmm. this fun thing I did. Mm-hmm. So that way people don't think I'm ignoring this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. that's definitely, I've heard people say that too where they're like mm-hmm. why are you why are you posting about this when this really important thing's going on in the world right. mm-hmm. it's like because this is my personal mm-hmm. <laughs> account that yeah I'm having fun with i don't know yeah i mean it's like you know i it's all like I, not to be too cynical about it because i think that a lot of it is like you know um is is authentic and like not thinking about it in such a calculated way but i i, I think that like you know um just just the idea of like 
social media activism and like where it goes it's like it's it's like hard to just by the nature of it like going away in 24 hours it's yeah, like, I, yeah it's like hard yeah. to I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you I don't necessarily think it's um, it's like an added thing but it's not the only thing you know I think like it's a lot of people a lot of people do it to like check a box mm. well, like, alright I mean well is, I did my activism yeah <laughs> right. and, and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you in the sense that I don't know I don't know if it's always a calculated thing that's like Today I'm going to make this post so that people know. I'm sure for some people <laughs> it does turn into that. Mm-hmm. But I would say a lot of times people just post, people will re-blog, re, what, what is the Share. Word? Share stuff. I just mm-hmm. sounded so old. Uh, <laughs> um, they'll share stuff to their story because they actually believe in it. Yeah. But I think to what, you made a really good point, which is that it makes them, it gives them that instant gratification of, mm. oh, I just did something. Mm. And then it does go away in 24 hours. So it's right. like, they, they, they were, their heart was in the right place, but they didn't really do anything. It's also hard to discern whether it is real or not real. Like whether it is people doing it because yes. other people, like as a right, performative thing. Yes, and like, this leads me to, because we've talked about this before on the show, um, or at least I've asked this question. Yeah. But I... <laughs> To some, and I think in certain cases throughout history it has been, but like theater being activism yeah. or like a social media post being activism mm-hmm. or now that you're on here, yeah. filmmaking being activism and right. to what extent that goes in actual, because like, you know, I, I think that movies do a great, like Star Wars has influenced me mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, family and hope. Those are like the two things that, those are like the pillars of my life, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that there are a lot of other things that went into making me realize that those are the things I can appreciate about Star Wars. Because mm-hmm. there was also a lot of things about Star Wars you can appreciate, like the fact that there's battles all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, and even though it's not pro-war, mm-hmm. growing up with that as a child, it can be like, I loved guns. And that's mm-hmm. why I watched episode two, Attack of the Clones, on repeat. Because mm-hmm. I would just watch the ending scene and it would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But the reason I bring this up is that I feel like to a degree, just like you said, oh, I did my activism for the day. Right. Oh, I'm, and my thought process as an actor is like, oh, I did this performance that's very socially aware Mm -hmm. and, and I've, I've brought thoughts into the audience's head that maybe they wouldn't have beforehand about someone else's perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't personally, I don't consider that activism. Mm -hmm. I consider that. I don't know what I would consider that. I just know yeah. that I just I personally don't consider it activism because I think activism has to be a bit more active. Right. But like where you're going, you know, where you're trying to enact real change, like going. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know as a filmmaker, do mm-hmm. you think that the reason I brought Star Wars up is because it's a film that has inspired me so much and right. probably inevitably led to this podcast being made, which is all about hope, right? Yeah. So uh, what do you think about that? Like, do you think mm-hmm. filmmaking can be used as activism? Yeah, I I think like um, it's mostly a source of empathy. Probably like you watch like a movie like Moonlight, um, and it's kind of showing like a you know a a world that a lot of people weren't experienced to, and kind of like you know showing like a degree of of empathy or you know something like that. Um, as far as like changing people's minds, I you know I think that like if you're like trying really hard it's you know it's hard to do that um because i think most of the time like if you're just telling a good story and not preaching then you might you might like shift someone's mind a little bit and just kind of like showing showing like a portrayal of something um yeah 
But I think a lot of the time it is, it's not that it's preaching to the choir, but it's like showing people that it, that they are seen, I guess is like Mm. probably like a higher thing than like, or maybe a more prominent thing in movies than like, um, changing the minds of someone who isn't of a certain cultural background or who, Mm. or who does believe like a different thing. So I guess like in that way, it's a really nice source of both empathy, but also like, you know, and I think it can certainly stuff. certainly be a tool for change. Like, yeah, uh, documentaries in particular mm-hmm. are are great at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked about this before in the podcast, and it's a silly story, but I watched My Octopus Teacher, <clears throat> and it did change my mind. On first of all, I was like. I'll be pescatarian now, even though it was all about like a sea creature. Um, but I was pescatarian without eating octopus because I was like, or squid, because I was like, something about it. After yeah. I watched that at the restaurant I was working at, I've told this story before, but I'll tell you. At the restaurant I was working at, after I watched that documentary, there was a, we served octopus and I just saw the tentacle on the plate and I was like, this is just something's arm. This is just an arm right. that we've put on a plate and drizzled in some nice sauce. And now somebody's going to devour an arm. Yeah. And, um, and I was just, it was like weird. I was like, this is kind of gross. So, but, <laughs> but, that, but that movie, <coughs> I had already been thinking about mm-hmm. maybe eating less meat. Um, and I have fallen off the train completely. But, I, but even though I fell off the train in the last few months, yeah it's still in my head that movie is still in my head right where it was like these animals are so yeah intelligent and that one was just about an octopus but it, it really puts things into perspective yesterday i went to the north florida fair yeah and i went to like the animals and the petting zoo and i what was that? i saw a brahmin never seen a brahmin before me either it was a very beautiful animal the ears so beautiful i don't even know what the brahmin is very docile and all the animals, like I was, they were, there's, you know, you just look at animals, there's a, a, a Z-donk, whatever it was. And I don't know, I, I was watching like, I was watching, um, I was watching like a goat just, it, was, it started falling asleep. Mm-hmm. It was just like, but it was really funny because it was like eating, but it was like resting its head on the feed, the feeder. And then it just like was closing its eyes and like falling asleep. And I was like, man, We've I've done that. I've yeah. been on the couch eating something and then been like drifting off. And I'm like, animals are just they're living beings. And I'm not necessarily one of those people who's like, you know, I don't think I don't think a goat is <clears throat> seeing this the world in the same way as us. Yeah. And necessarily has the same capacity for feelings and emotions as us, but it's still a living creature mm-hmm. that it's just I'm in this, I'm in this place right now where like okay yesterday i ate a turkey leg but every time i eat meat mm-hmm. i'm like man i, I kind of don't because we've separated ourselves do this it's so hard but it's so hard to make this shift but i think yeah i think after thanksgiving this year i'm really gonna try again mm-hmm. i'm gonna be vegetarian i don't even want to be pescatarian i'm really gonna try yeah because i just every time every time i eat meat i'm like there's well, something about this that I don't really like. Yeah. Well, like we divorce ourselves from the reality that that is a, that is like a thing that died. And I, because yeah. Like, because like how we like make it and I fried hate or nuggets or like whatever it is. It's like, this isn't an animal, you know? And like, you know, and there's a whole argument <clears throat> to be made um, about, you know, all of history, we've eaten animals and there's an argument to be made that 
it's it's not i don't think it's immoral to eat animals by the way that's not what i'm saying mm-hmm. i just personally as i've learned about more about things and sort of gained other insights yeah. from like vegan friends and stuff i look at cuisine like i look at a turkey leg and honestly it's so paradoxical it was delicious mm-hmm. but the idea that it was a leg of a thing yeah is mm-hmm. gross to me so it's just like i have to i have to be okay with i love how food tastes i love meat i love trying things but it's starting to get to a point where morally i'm starting to feel weird about it personally but it, yeah. i would never tell somebody that it's immoral to eat meat because it's i don't really think it is it's just like it's a personal anyway i'm monopolizing the conversation here i want you to talk no <laughs> i mean i i think that that's like that's interesting because a lot of people just don't even acknowledge that it is like a that it was something that was alive yeah because um, like you know you used to kill an animal and like see we don't have to be the ones to do it anymore we just go buy it right Um, so i think that that's what are your thoughts on (laughs) uh cuisine or do you want to change the subject here i don't know um no i mean like i think that you're talking about cool beans right yes i don't know if i can can call it out yeah they're not because they're wrong they were just serving food yeah i think they're like the only place that um serves octopus in tallahassee probably Probably. or maybe Mm, maybe a couple like fine dining places but yeah um I wonder how they get it. I guess they get it from the Gulf or something. Yeah, there's supply. There's <laughs> Let's talk about the supply chain. <laughs> yeah, well, of I, octopus production I, I, in, oh, in you know what? Florida. I, I will. I'll try to corral this back to what we were talking about. So that was a, that was me going on that whole tangent because I watched a film about animals, right? And so film can definitely be a really good way to promote ideas and. Yeah. Um, but I understand what you're saying, Caleb, where it, is it activism? Yeah. Like, and I think that you said it, I think you put it a great way, Andrew, when you said, I think it's, you know, it's empathy. It's, mm-hmm. and it's promoting empathy. Um, and I wondered, and I, and I do like that because I think that there is a difference between yeah. the two. I mean, but, but is it, you know, I don't, I don't really know because think, like, is, yeah. is, is this, is this activism is a podcast activism, right. you know, like is, is what we're doing. Because my whole thing is I want to promote active hope. I was talking to Ted about how, you know, change is the only constant in everything. It's the whole point. And, um, you know, it's like, well, maybe we should, let's, let's, I feel like as we keep going, you know, the, the, the show keeps changing and everything like that. So maybe we should change like the intro or like the mm-hmm. mission statement or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really don't want to let go of. I really yeah. want to stay married to at least for a bit. Because even though change is the only constant, the whole point is that we all have a part to play in the change it's happening. Like, and I yeah. believe in active hope. So the things that you can implement in your life to make that future a reality. And gotcha. it's not about like, the last thing I want is for the podcast to be like, kumbaya, like mm. we're all, everything is fine, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, life is great, which it yeah. is, life is great. I think there's, there are many perspectives to be taken on life, which is awesome. But we also can't deny that life has its challenges sometimes. Yeah. So the reason I asked the whole activism question is that, you know, I wondered if as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. you consider yourself an activist to a degree because mm-hmm. you have the capability of inspiring so much empathy in mm-hmm. people, you know? Yeah. I think like, you know, I, I definitely don't agree with the idea that, cause like I, I heard one comedian talking about how like, 
no one cares what you think or like you can't influence people with film or with comedy or whatever. Um, and I think that especially for like young people, you definitely can sway people one way or another mm-hmm. or like inspire empathy um, in something. But yeah, I mean, I think that like the idea of of hope in media or hope in film is like something that is coming back around, you know, in, in a, a, especially comedies, you know. I feel like um, that recently there's like kind of a um, more hopeful shows or more optimistic shows like Parks and Rec or like mm. Ted Lasso that are kind of like very very like purposefully optimistic and hopeful because like mm. at the end of every you know dark sad movie there there's usually a little bit of of hope yeah so that you leave the movie theater with a little bit of like yeah you know maybe it is <laughs> maybe it is uh, you know a little bit okay or like a bittersweet ending because mm-hmm. like you know obviously a super happy ending is not always realistic but like giving a little bit of of a bittersweet ending sometimes is is nice and i think with like the pandemic and with like the times we're living in you know, <laughs> um there's there, you know there's been a lot of uh there's been a lot of films and filmmakers that have wanted to do more more you know outwardly hopeful movies mm. um or tv um and what kind of movies do you think you see yourself gonna like what movies do you hope to be making in the future let's put it that way um, I recently, like, because in college I've done a lot of just like comedies or a, you know, dramedy or a comedy with heart or a family comedy or whatever, I definitely want to do like something that is a little bit more out there, a little bit more weird or sci-fi or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I was on Rose's, uh, film, which is like a fantasy film, mm-hmm. I was really excited about the you know the idea of doing something like that in the future yeah um but i do think that um like at least right now what i've kind of um recently made is kind of like a movie that is comedic that has some sort of deeper layer or deeper thing that is Mm. um that has some sort of emotion or or heart to it because i because i do think that that is like ultimately what separates a lot of films from sketches like comedic films from sketches mm. like you watch a movie like identity thief or like Step Brothers mm-hmm. or the hangover part two and there is like a connection between two characters there is a relationship that that changes or undergoes yeah you know yeah. Emo- emotion and mm-hmm. that and that, that's like not present in sketches usually so mm-hmm. like that's kind of right. the right that's kind of you know the the goal is like i don't really see there's hardly any movie that doesn't have some sort of emotion between two two characters yeah <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i guess that's a good point and i mean that another mm-hmm. thing that this leads me to is like having to structure being a director yeah. let's say having to structure the communication between two characters and as you said you know <laughs> you have the opportunity to you know, you have a light meter. You have mm-hmm. all these different ways of being very logistical about things, and it's like, yeah. we'll just get this number right, and we're going to have a good film. But then it comes down to communicating with the actors and communicating with the actors how they should communicate to themselves if they yeah. haven't been taught that already, right? But it's like, how does that, how does that shift, and how do you find yourself approaching that kind of a situation? Because as you said, it's very human. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> and it's like, in a way, you're having to think about, at least in a director's perspective, I know that you're, you're having to think about not only the actor's perspective, but the audience's perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, and how do you juggle that? And how do you right. approach how do you approach communicating to an actor in those kind of circumstances where it's like, I know I need you to to have this type of right. emotion. The audience needs to feel this way. Right. So but you don't. Want, yeah. Yeah. How do you go about that? Yeah. Um, right. Because you want the audience to feel a certain way, but you don't want to give a result driven like I want you to move your hand like this. And yes. Very affectatious. <clears throat> right. Yeah, yeah. Or even just like. You know, the idea of being like, you're the bad guy and like judging a kid. You know? It's like, and yeah. then the actor plays it like with a mustache twirling thing you know, versus <laughs> like, versus the actor kind of getting into the skin of the character and having like, mm. you know, empathy for that character and just like, you know, playing themselves like they are the hero of their own story and then like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But yeah. um, it definitely, it definitely is like a range for every actor because i directed kids on um, my last film and you know that was there is a little bit of that like result driven like you know you know you're sarcastic in this moment or like you're you know this one you're too cool for school or whatever Mm -hmm. and you know and then on the same set working with an actor where you can just tell them the intention or like the subtext and then they get it you know just okay. like gotcha that was like a, a very interesting experience of like here's a college student that has a background in comedy that maybe has not done a lot of film and here's uh, a person who's super you know professional and experienced who has done a lot of film and mm-hmm. here's a kid who hasn't done any film and then here's a kid who <laughs> It's like an actor kid that has done a lot of films. Yeah, so you just have to kind of know a wide range. Yeah, know who they are. Yeah, Mm. and and kind of just like catering your directing style to each person is very, Mm. very nice. Mm. So a director is really just a big communicator. Yeah, with everything. Which, like, I you know have not like. I think that sometimes I can be unclear, or I can like over direct, or kind of ramble a little bit. Um, So it's definitely something that I'm trying to to get more of a a handle on um especially with actors because you want to you want to make them feel safe like you want to make them have affirmation um while also like you know kind of making adjustments and everything and it's such Mm. a soft skill thing that i'm like very you know trying to figure out um and and you you can know the rules of like you know don't give them states of being yeah you know? <laughs> but still like mess it up and just like you know whatever mm-hmm. uh, if it ends up good on screen then you know yeah where you where you were talking about earlier like when you said um like when you try really hard not to tell an actor like you're the bad guy mm-hmm. you know it's like you're a bad guy <laughs> um that was really hard for me to juggle on rose's set right. shout out rose louise hoover love you homie um yes. wonderful director mm-hmm. filmmaker um uh, but yeah, it was like that, that was just pure, like you are the villain and you enjoy doing this. So that was interesting juggling yeah. that. And I get, and I do know what you mean because and that, and this is in no way, again, I love you, Rose. This is in no way like, yeah. Uh, discrediting the way that she directs, but she was very much like, no, you enjoy this. You are the bad guy. And that was the first time that I didn't, I don't know. I guess that was the first, like, would it be sadistic? Mm, would it yeah. like that for like that that first type of character? You know, mm. whereas 
every other character that I've played before, there's like there's always that there's aspect kind of, of humanity depth. that I want to find. You know, it's right. like there's a reason that he's doing this. You right, know, and it's right. like for that character, it was just greed. He just mm-hmm. wanted to be powerful and he enjoyed hurting people. So yeah. it was interesting balancing that. But like, I don't know if you've ever found yourself. Have you ever been forced to just kind of do like I know you said like with the kid actor you had to do that like well you're a little too cool for school today you know so like have you ever found yourself being like like because at the end of the day you do have to get the result yeah and you can fix it in post right mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah there's actually a lot of new technology that you just change uh, what the actor said right um, yeah we can change their facial expression no, um, um, but yeah I think like. A lot of student directors, because they are taking classes and so based in technique, are afraid to say, literally, don't say it like this, say it like this, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that, like, when you're doing uh, a comedy, like, sometimes the joke it has to be delivered yeah. a certain way. And, mm-hmm. like, if you pause in a certain place or, like, the dialogue has to be, you have to add, like, a, a just or you have to add, like, a also at the end of the word to like make it a little bit funnier you know so i think that like sometimes you Mm. do sometimes like um not being afraid to be a little bit like and just like pointing out the elephant in the room and being like i'm sorry to give you a line reading but like it's kind of like this Mm. is like the and like by giving them a line reading for a certain joke you're telling them the intention of oh that's what you mean yeah and so then and then they take it their own way and say mm-hmm. it like a way that like is natural for them but still gets like that yeah reading across <laughs> so is it annoying for you sometimes do you feel like you have to beat around the bush <laughs> well it, yeah it's like so, well, but like sometimes you'll have like a super experienced film actor slash like you know theater actor and you're trying to give them this like Stanislavski like you know your intention it's like whatever and they're like so do you want me to be sad like <laughs> so do you want me to be angry it's like yes be angry <laughs> yeah um, seriously <laughs> yeah that's funny because i think i've heard that a lot from other film majors where it's kind of just you're taught this thing but then you it kind of just goes out the, the window because everybody's different mm-hmm. you kind of just have to see what happens and it's a very, and, uh, like, on your feet, yeah. you know. It's pr- I mean, it's definitely probably, it's probably a good foundation to have, you know, like, keep it in mind, but yeah. it, when the real, in the real world, there, yeah, like you said, there, there's going to be actors who are like, do you want me to be sad right now? Because mm. I can play sad. We'd like to take a second to shout out our monthly patrons. Thank you to Aaron Bachman, Marissa Arnone, Mimi Schultz, Dan Winstrup, Corbin Gulo and Christina Shan for their continuous support of the podcast. Everything we do on this show couldn't be possible without listeners like you. Consider joining us on Patreon, where for just a dollar a month, you can support the podcast and help us even more in the conversation about Active Hope. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, and for comedians, a lot of it is like, you know, playing this like like you'll have you'll have a comedian and they'll be like, so is this moment grounded or broad or like how do you want this humor? Do you want this humor to be slapstick and like in like or right. whatever you know? Mm. But a lot of the times on a student film set, I'm having to like as we're making a a comedy or like a scene that is absurd, I'm having to like remind people like you know 
play this for real. Like you really think this or like you really well, believe this. Well, that's what comedy built on. Yeah. Like yeah. being real. The best improv scenes are when the characters really yeah. believe what they're doing. And don't don't try yeah. to be funny. Yeah. Yes. Just be a person. Yeah. That was be so hard for me. I had to learn that so from Dariush, mm. um, actually, because yeah. something I mm. used to be, I'm a very physical actor and I used to play into that with my comedy. I was very, I was a very physical comedian, quote unquote, uh-huh. even though I definitely don't consider myself a comedian. Um, but throughout college, something changed and I turned into the straight man. That is mm. like, that is my role in the scene. Usually yeah. I, I, I'm, I will set Ted up for a wonderful joke any day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, from doing a scene with Dariush and it was, fr- I forget what movie it was from, but the guy is talking about how he played a tomato mm-hmm. for an audition. Yeah. And his agent is like, no, you messed the audition up. All you had to do was play a tomato mm-hmm. and you did it wrong. And the, the actor is defending himself and how the way that he played the tomato was the yeah. only way he could play the tomato. <laughs> and how just, just the, the circumstances, right. just hearing that, you guys are both like, <laughs> right? Because it's absurd. Yeah. And the whole idea is that you play into the absurdity by right. being so serious about right. it. I was like, I really had to get offended by the agent saying that I messed up my audition. Right. And because I got so sad and flustered, it made the scene hilarious. Right. Even though it was only hindsight that made it like after we watched right. it. It wasn't during during the process of it. Right. I was really taking it to heart. I was very sad. You know, I thought it was yeah. even beats. Right. <laughs> you watch it in class later and everyone's right. laughing their laughing their ass off because you look like an idiot. Right. You know? But and I so, love that. And sometimes when you're <coughs> on set, the crew is not laughing because you're not you're not like when you're on stage, you're you, there's a certain level of like kind of nudging the audience and like the you know we funny. we know we know that this is a joke you yeah. know <laughs> yeah and it's like yeah, and that yeah. cuz you don't want to go too far to the other extreme where you're like <clears throat> where you're very much like doing it too dry or too deadpan to where the audience is like can is i laugh am i allowed to laugh mm-hmm. and then but then like you know when you're on set sometimes the crew isn't laughing as much because like you're taking it serious in the moment, but like because it's because the the content is so absurd, mm. or like because the background of the scene is so absurd, it's gonna be funny. It'll just be funny later, <laughs> right? I know what you <laughs> Which mean. is weird too. But so I mean, I love how since we've been talking about filmmaking and everything, we've kind of inadvertently been talking about comedy, which is another big interest of yours, or at least right. it used to be. And as time went on, you had less time on your plate. Which yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll understand. do it more later. But <laughs> well, we'll do. What do you find yourself? Even though you have very little spare time, what do you find yourself doing in your spare time? Yeah, because um, I know you're not just. I only make movies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over the summer, I did more uh, stand up, which was like a fun little outlet. Just because, Ooh. as I was like writing and and kind of like in classes, I was able to do you know five minutes and like and just kind of you know uh, talk about stuff and it's like a very different format which is cool um and so that was that was really nice because you get the instant gratification whereas like Mm. a movie it's like you write it in june (laughs) you film it in october (laughs) you edit it in january (laughs) you sound design it in february (laughs) you do color in march you know, I mean, and, then, June, and then and then it's year. out in June, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you don't go to a festival to it, 
until October. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! And then by then you're already making something else. That's so like, crazy. So you're you're Kinda like removed. yeah you, you you're the the gratification isn't there. But then with like improv or stand up or something, it's like boom! Da, 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 da. People laugh tonight. Yeah, mm. exactly. And you feed off of it, right? And it encourages you, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I mean, like, <clears throat> I wish I had more um, hobbies. Most of my hobbies involve like eating and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Very human, not yeah. gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> Arguably the most human thing. You <laughs> I read a comic book the other week. That was fun. Oh, sweet! You're into comics too. Um, I have read two comic books. Oh, Dude, okay. I have but a lot of comics. If you ever want to read any, I actually would take you up on that because I've only read like books, like like a standalone. Like it's all right here. Dude, after um, the podcast, I got. I, do you like sci-fi? Um, yeah, I do. I got I got a series for you. Okay, cool. That'll be for after the show. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good because I've only I read like the one that like WandaVision is kind of based off of, like okay. the Tom King, you yeah, know, dark yeah, yeah. Uh, Vision comic. Mm. Um, I think it's Tom King. It might not be, but um, and then I read like another one that was uh, about Hollywood in the 1950s. You know, okay. with all the Red Scare and that's and, cool. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and that was like a very standalone. <gasps> Dude, comics Ooh, are a great yeah. uh, art form because they, <clears throat> in my, I took classes at FSU for making comics. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and obviously it's not the same thing as film because you don't have a million jobs to do and yeah. you don't start it in June and finish it in June. Um, but it's so similar because it is visual aspect yeah. of, you know, you're telling a visual story um, and you also have to write a script Yeah, and all of the panels are shots essentially. Right, right. Like you have to make shots. Um, yeah. So, and taking that, taking that comic class was really cool. I felt like that was the closest I got to doing the film yeah. stuff, at least in my track of, uh, of, yeah. of creative writing. Mm. So, it makes me. I think know. filmmakers have a really good opportunity in right. in uh, comics because yeah. you're you're you already think about art in a visual right. format. So mm. yeah, yeah. I think it's like I, I think it's really cool because when I was reading that comic, I was like, you know, it was just after um, me and Matt's uh, thesis film, and so I was like. Just kind of, you know, wanting to become like in- inspired again and, and just like, you know, read stuff. And like, I feel like I should do more of that where I just like consume different types of things. Um, but <laughs> comic, when I was reading that comic, I was like, oh, it's so cool to see like when the the writer and the artist decide to do a full page, you yeah. know, of something of like a moment. And mm. and also like choosing like like the the comic that I read was not a lot of action. It was a lot of conversations, and so it was like fun to see like when they would do a closer shot, when they would do a wider shot, and like what was the intention behind that? Yeah, very cinematic, and and like even the transitions too. It would like transition from someone's coffee cup to like you know a coffee cup in like a later a different scene that was at night, and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that I was in a different scene, which is very similar to a movie where you're like it becomes a different scene. You're like, oh, cool, I'm in a different scene now. Mm. And there was one part where, like, there was just a black, and I'm sure this is a thing in comics, but it was just, like, a black panel. Yeah. and Because, yep. like, someone was getting knocked out yep. or, like, or they were getting drunk, and it literally, was, like... That's crazy. I literally did that in one of the 
things that I wrote. That's cool. And I had yeah, never seen that. And I was like, that's so cool. Because <laughs> it's it's just like a, a just like a movie that's I'll have to drawn. show you the the stuff that I worked on. Yeah. Cause I have a, a personal example of what you're talking about where you didn't like you don't realize you're in an, in another scene now. Yeah. Uh, because I wrote a post apocalyptic thing and the way that I got the transition to being in the post apocalyptic world is there was some narration from the main character and there's a, there's like two panels where he like he like blinks and says mm-hmm. something and then he opens his eye again and he's wearing goggles yeah. in the next scene kind of to signify like, okay, now we're in the future Yeah, to where cool. he's in the post-apocalyptic mm, world. And so, yeah. yeah, you can really do some cool visual tricks. Yeah. Cause in a movie, you'd be the same thing. You would close his eye and then you're in yeah. the next and i was like reading it so slowly at the beginning and then i like and then like i was getting into it and 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 it's like you start learning a different language and you're like reading it faster dude you know actually i have to train myself sometimes to read comic books slower to see the visuals to see the visuals and to because it it gets so easy to just read it right and you're not necessarily because you're seeing everything but it's cool how sequential art just becomes like a movie right. in its own way. Right. So you're not thinking about it. But I, you know, when you really try to take your time and look at the panels, mm-hmm. first of all, artists put so much detail into them, it's insane. Mm-hmm. But secondly, you can really start to get your own ideas of like, oh, they framed it like this, or yeah. they put this character here, or <laughs> they put the... Like, even the text boxes are a whole art form. Right. Like, lettering. And it's like, yes. they put this here? And yeah. they made it look like that? I know in, like, Star Wars <laughs> comics, whenever, like, a droid speaks, like, like if it's an electronic being, uh-huh. they'll make the text boxes very squared off, you know? But whenever it's a person speaking, it's usually very bubbly. Right. So, right, to signify it. And it's such a subtle thing. And in thing. your head, yes. you read it differently. I read it, yes, I read it differently. It's just subtle cues like that that make the audience, like, inadvertently shift their perspective yeah and you guide the pace too in a movie you know a, a filmmaker can say no you're gonna watch you're gonna look at this wide shot for 20 seconds and you're gonna really take it in but if you're reading a comic like i guess one way of doing that is a full page but like mm. it but like you you kind of like guide the pace so you can you know z- z- zoom through it or you can mm. do like really small panels that that's like in a movie you'd be like really quick cuts mm. and it'd be like panel 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 like all shot, next to each shot, other right next to each other yeah and then you can and the next one below all of those you can put a big pan not a full yeah. page but you can put a bigger panel of yeah. a wide shot it's like and pay it attention kinda, to this it kind of makes people slow down for a second and be like whoa it's really cool. There's that a is whole cool. Interesting. It's a yeah. whole different because you're leading them to go zoom, 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 and then it's like, and it's, yeah. So it's really yeah. a whole different <laughs> visual art form, but it's very cool. There was also a thing where like someone would be talking and the person wouldn't be listening to them, and part of the words in the text oh box would God, be I cut love off. When people do that. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 picture would be cutting off the the words slightly. Another one that I another. <clears throat> way to do that that i saw in a comic was or in a graphic novel was um they weren't listening so first of all the the person who wasn't listening was in the foreground of the drawing Mm -hmm. and they were like inked very heavily so they were like Mm. it was a black and white graphic novel Mm -hmm. so they were very solid yeah and then in the background there was the person that was talking and they were a lot lighter Mm. in shade yeah and the text box was 
the same shade as them, but cut off and in the background mm. and everything was like almost gray versus mm. the character in the front is colorful. Dark. Yeah. It's really cool. That is, that is, I feel like I saw that in the memories too, where it's like you're going in the past and then like everything's black and white and maybe the characters in color or like, yeah, there's you know. so many ways to do yeah. it. There's so many different. Mm. So yeah, comics are definitely something that <laughs> they uh, are are completely different from film, but similar enough right, to where right. you can sort of. But you can, like you're saying, you can think of new ideas. Yeah. for comics, there's things that comics only comics can do. Right. That a film can't. Yeah, in the same way that like books can't do or things the movies can, and vice versa. And like, one of the coolest movies that tried to bring both together, you might know what I'm talking about, is Into the Spider-Verse. Mm, because yeah. that movie yeah. is comic book style yeah. in the its texture. art. Yeah. And then literally during montages of the film, they have comic. Yeah. It's really cool. It, it is, is so cool. Yeah. And I, I think that like a lot of my friends make fun of me for it, but I've only read two comic novels. <laughs> I've only read two comics, but it is like, it, it's just like a fun, you know, you get to get refreshed with like something else, you know, in the same way that you would watch a play and be like, oh yeah. yeah. Like when I watched the um, Mr. Burns play, it was like, oh man, mm. Dude, so awesome. I'm so excited mm-hmm. about stuff, you know, yeah, you about art. <laughs> I'm an artist. I want to make it. <laughs> um, yeah. And I do want to, I want to ask you, this is like, I mean, like, we got off the topic of film, even though we've kind of really been talking about it the whole time still. And I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, was, I was so excited to talk about it. Um, but I do want to hear your perspective before we start wrapping things up. Yeah. I do want to hear your perspective on the influence that films have over people just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not just talking about it being activism because I know mm-hmm. because – it's similar, but I think that it's a different conversation because yeah. I, as far as narratives go, as far as like controlling narratives or like, you know, just like you said, like how you can, you can control the pace that someone yeah. absorbs a movie. So it's like, no, you're going to look at this wide shot for 20 seconds before mm-hmm. you move on. So right. it, it forces them to stop, take it all in and whatever. Mm-hmm. And before movies, the biggest thing that had cultural impacts that movies do were books and essays. You know, yeah. like after the after the invention of the printing press, you know, like yeah. once we had that and people were able to read knowledge like on a on a, such a wide scale so yeah. quickly, you know, it's like people's perspectives changed dramatically. And right. that's where that's how like like Martin Luther, you know. I, yeah, I was going to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. So like in his 95 theses and how mm-hmm. like that whole that whole split, you know, yeah. in Christianity. And I was wondering I wanted to hear your perspective on the influence that film, like Hollywood, I guess, has yeah. in America alone, unless you want to talk about the world. But I know that there is yeah. a tremendous, just like I talked about Star Wars, yeah. inspiring me to be who I am today. Right. So, yeah, I'd like to hear your perspective on that because yeah. you are going to be going into that field. So, yeah, you do have a lot of power in your hands, whether mm. you know it or not. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, I think like, yeah, it, it's just, uh, you know, it's such a... Um, cultural export that america has it's probably like our biggest export is culture in terms of music and uh movies Mm. and that kind of stuff to the rest of the um to rest of the world for better or for worse um so we are the world's entertainment um yeah i mean not not so (laughs) not so nationalist um no i'm just kidding but uh 
but yeah, I mean, like that's like probably the I guess like the like the predominant thing that makes um, America so not just America because there's obviously a lot of countries that yeah, have a lot Hollywood. of great art. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess it's just the the Hollywood of it, you know, is yeah. what makes it like more prominent across the globe. Mm-hmm. But um, can I, because uh, I was listening to a couple of things about, you know, on the podcast, because you, your dad's a pastor, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you, do you want to talk about religion? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I know, I know we're going to end, but I just like, sometimes like I talk about movies and I'm like, I really, you know, it's, it's a self-conscious thing. Cause I don't want people to like only think that I talk about that, but also I just like, don't want to only talk about, you know what I mean? It's no, like, I appreciate that. Yeah. Cause it's please. like, um, but I don't have anything specific, but, um, you just want to talk about religion. <laughs> yeah. I just, okay. I just was, um, looking at uh priscilla and aquila um the people in the bible okay the greek people um and my mom i was talking to my mom about it and she said that she named trees after them but priscilla was like a greek preacher uh, uh, uh you know essentially and she was she was like one of the early uh preachers with paul mm-hmm. um and then kind of like as Protestantism evolved, it became a lot more like, ge- you know, f- gender roles of like not a lot of women preaching, but I was just like, yeah. um, so curious. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I know. I, I get, cause I, I appreciated when I mentioned when I was like Martin Luther and you were like, I was actually just about to say that. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I've talked about it before on the podcast, but like, you yeah. know, my, my experience with, with faith in general, um, mm. and, the how I think that there can be such good things that stem mm-hmm. from following religion and how mm-hmm. a lot of negative things can also stem from it. Um, yeah. But I think it also it all just kind of comes down to the willingness to accept that you don't have the complete and full answer. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as that statement is made, mm-hmm. disagreement begins. Mm-hmm. Because there, I mean, just like across the world, as soon as you have, I mean, you have. Uh, we talk about it all the time, but you know, as far as Christianity, Judaism, and Islam go, they're all Abrahamic faiths. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so they all start from the same root, technically speaking. Except right after Abraham, it splits off because Ishmael. they disagree on the son that was yeah. supposed to be the uh, the most important, right? So as yeah. soon as that happens, bam, and then you have wars. You have yeah. hundreds of millions. You know what I'm saying? It's just like so many people die. So I think that it kind of comes down to, you know, like the, res- the, the respect that, you know, we're all humans trying to figure it out. Um, and I appreciated your statement earlier when you were like, I think a lot more can be conveyed by just telling a good story rather than yeah. by preaching. Right. Um, and that's something that I had to, I still am, don't want to say that I've learned the lesson and I'm done, you know, mm-hmm. because it's like, I still find myself being preachy sometimes. Yeah. You know, you got the blood, man. <laughs> I mean, my dad's a pastor. Yeah, my my grandfather was uh, an elder in the church and everything like that. Oh, wow. um, yeah, and so I've you know growing up in Christianity, um, especially evangelical. Yeah, uh, just just leave it at e- evangelical. You know, mm-hmm. just the fact that mm-hmm. we so fervently prayed. You know, prayed yeah. in tongues and laid hands on people, and you know, but it all come it all came down to belief um mm. 
It's interesting that you bring this up because I haven't talked about this yet, but I'm going to go ahead and do it because you were just curious about it. Yeah. Um, man, I just got so nervous and anxious. Um, I faked being paralyzed for two years. So, yeah. Uh, so I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to private Christian school all the way through the beginning of fifth grade. And then I was pulled out. Um, and sent to a public school. And then mm-hmm. around the same time, my dad remarried. So that the combination of those things, I think, um, haven't extensively talked to a therapist about it as mm-hmm. of yet, although I do plan to. Um, That's good. Yeah, I do plan to. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I needed my dad back. You know, mm-hmm. I needed attention. So I very consciously made the effort to be, quote unquote, paralyzed from the waist down. Wow. So this is not me telling the story to be like, um, yeah, I can do that. No, but it's like, it's right, the yeah, whole yeah, idea no. that for two years, my family was under the impression that I was under attack from the devil. Mm. And in order for me to realistically make it seem like I was rehabilitating myself, yeah, I would ask for prayer. Mm. and slowly but surely it's i'd just be like oh you know i woke up one morning and god healed me right yeah so yeah and and it this is just one more example is the salem witch trials Mm -hmm. um and how you know girls were so they were just children but they were able to cause the deaths of so many people because they were you know they were just they were accusing people one by yeah. one, it's like, oh, witchcraft this, witchcraft that. It's like, oh, this person did this to me, whatever. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of terrible things that can happen to people based on belief. Right. Just as much as I believe that great things can happen from. Right. So it was just that I was, I was a child. I was 10 mm-hmm. years old yeah. until I was 12 years old. And I had the ability to somewhat control my family's narrative yeah. um, based on their faith. And it's not that I was... You know, I, I don't beat myself up. I was a kid. Yeah. I don't, you know, yeah, I, you got to give yourself a certain level of grace. Cause, yeah. yeah. Um, but it definitely made me be like, oh, wow, I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy. I'm totally wrong. But history shows that this has happened before. Right. But the reason I tell that story, and I haven't told it before, um, the reason I tell that story is that that's the main reason that I feel the way I do about it. Mm-hmm. And which is why, as I slowly calm down now, <sighs> Take some deep yeah, breaths. I appreciate you like sharing that with me. And thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you listening. Um, and I guess everybody else, <laughs> since it's being recorded. <laughs> it's um, a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, that just dawned on me. It's definitely on a podcast. But anyway, it's good that it's out, though. I've talked to my family about it and everything. But they yeah. still fervently believe that it was God and the devil. and everything. Really? Yeah, fervently. And it was... Wow. It was completely out of my control, even though I was controlling every second of it. So... Yeah. Just how belief can like kind of spring from one, you know, from one person saying something to like the idea that like, you know, and not, not this obviously, but like the idea that like cult leaders can hijack people's goodwill and belief into, into something that can be like self, uh, aggrandizing self, uh, you know, moving it for self interest. It's like, you know, um, like obviously I have so many good experiences in the church and like, I, I still, you know, hold a lot of, of those beliefs and, and, um, and like have a lot of, uh, 
have a have a lot of um, empathy and like and like you know, I I, li- I like the church a lot in my experience in it. But you know, there are there are just like things that you know you see some pastors being extremely rich and you see other pastors not being rich and mm-hmm. like you know and the the idea that like um a church can use the the red and like have a lot of money to use the red camera and like mm-hmm. and and make like um videos for for churches like uh like you can sell a video and and then it can be used as a sermon for a bunch of different uh, churches and so mm-hmm. at that point it's like maybe a pastor is adding their own little spice onto it but it's like it's it's you made a sermon a product basically yes um but like mm-hmm. obviously not to be like very like high horsey about it but no um, of course not yeah i had a thing where i in like fourth grade i thought i was an angel um <laughs> really and or i would maybe i just pretended to be but i was like it was like a day in day out like my friend was a vampire. My other friend was a werewolf. My mm. other friend was a um, a wizard. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, we would just like always um, kind of uh, um, play those parts um, and mm. go into the woods and get little potions and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, this was like, I don't know if it was for, it might've been earlier than that, but. Our imaginations um, are strong. Yeah. You know? But I mean, like I was, I, in my mind, I was like thinking, like you know, uh, angel. You know, I don't know why I picked angel because that's like very like very uh, self. You know, it's like <laughs> right? yeah, I'd yeah, love yeah, to yeah. Jump in and and talk about something that because <clears throat> I feel like you, you you made a good point, and I don't know. I think where you were going with the angel thing is it was very like putting yourself up on a yeah pedestal, pedestal right? Yeah. As like and, a third grader. And you made a really good point that there are churches, there are these mega churches with so much money. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like religion has become another commodity in our mm-hmm. American society. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely churches, I'm sure, that um, don't do that. They're much yeah. more um, traditional and very spiritual. And I was recently... I'm not going to go into my, I, I was starting to write a short story and I won't go into the whole details cause that's not what this is about, but mm-hmm. I was really interested in, uh, so I'm sure, you know, from listening, I'm Jewish mm-hmm. and I was raised reform, which is not, which is honestly like one of the lesser religious, mm-hmm. we're not, we're not so focused on, you know, being really strict with everything. Yeah. It's more just like, here's the traditions of our people. Now go ahead and do them how you want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the really important. Um, <laughs> but I was reading about a form of Judaism, which is really interesting to me called, um, I don't know how you pronounce it. I think it's Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. Or Kabbalah. And essentially Kabbalah. K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H, right? Yes. Kabbalah is the is mysticism, the Jewish oh, okay. mysticism, the which, cabal, which I didn't even know <laughs> was, a, was a thing in Judaism. I'd heard about it, but yeah, you know, you know, um, <clears throat> golems, yeah, like mm-hmm. like inanimate objects that can suddenly start moving. Oh, okay, that's a Jewish thing. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, oh, I thought you meant like Lord of the Rings no, golem. No, not that golem. Okay, I there was are, totally on the There are things called go- golems, okay. which are like you, sit, you, you say a prayer 
and it comes it's an inanimate object that comes to life and texts. and it actually wow. it actually stems from i don't know all the stuff i was watching a video so i don't really i might be saying well what all i remember is in the jewish text it stems from abraham like he said a prayer i think it was abraham he said a prayer and like a mountain came to life or something and or no, it wasn't Not the burning bush. It wasn't it wasn't Abraham. It gotcha. was a guy in the it was some rabbi in the 1500s. Oh, okay. Who said a prayer and uh an an object came to life. And it's I don't know. I don't know all the details, but yeah. what I'm getting at is uh, the more I've learned about Kabbalah, mm-hmm. Kabbalah, I wish I knew how to say it. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's 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 kind of where some of the um intense beliefs of Judaism come out and where more of the spiritual aspects of it mm-hmm. come out. And I think that's something that religion is sort of losing right. in today's day and age. Right. It's, it's spiritual, but it's not, it's not. And you know what, who am I to define what real spirituality is, but mm-hmm. going back to commodifying religion, most people think about God in this way. That's just like, God mm-hmm. does things. And then nobody, th- and then that's as far as it goes. Well, it's like they're not it's, thinking about it unless you're really sitting down to study the text, right? Which most people who go to church, <clears throat> I would say, probably aren't, right. and most people who go to temple aren't even. Like, and most people, I don't know. I would imagine most people that go to um, what are the what are the Islamic um, places, mosque, mosque, mosque. People that go to mosque probably there's probably people who you know are mm-hmm. very casual about their right. religion, so. <clears throat> I don't know what I'm trying to get to here. Well, but the one, more I'm learning I, about this mystical aspect of it, right? And and I've studied not extensively, but like you know, I've read about Buddhism and Hinduism. It's so interesting because there are so many things in Kabbalah mm-hmm. that are basically just that, mm, basically yeah. just the same thing as <clears throat> Eastern religion. Mm. And yeah, I th- the more I learn about religions, you know, there's an esoteric, mystical thing from Christianity too that I would imagine has a lot of the same tenets as Buddhism and all of these things. It's, it's a way to make you feel connected to the universe. Right. Which, which that sounds crazy to people because that's not how Western religion works anymore. Right. It's like very much the, the idea that's like, uh, you know, the idea of uh, Christianity is self-help or like pastors that are kind of just like speaking about it in a very like, rational like every day you know applying this to your life way and and maybe not like the idea you know or just like talking about it from a historical perspective like i guess like when i was raised in church i was very much the guy that was like oh yeah so like the book of job is really interesting because it takes place between (laughs) abraham and moses you know like i was very like (laughs) i was was kind of like a bible nerd instead of thinking about it from like the heart aspect of it and i think like help you to be human right and i think a lot of a lot of pastors you know like um andy stanley for example is like a pastor that is that is has a mega church and he is in Atlanta and he and a lot of his sermons don't really mention the Bible that much. Like they might mention it here and there or like they might mention God here and there, but mm. it's a church for it's it's you know, a lot of agnostic people can go to that church if their spouse is like you know, a Christian or maybe if they're not or maybe if they just like want something to kind of like morally you know, like a a way to Think about your life morally. That's cool. Um, but so it, it he is doesn't cool. mention the Bible, but what does he do? He just he's, says his own. And it's just kind of a lot of like 
it's just a lot of self-help that the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. And like, you don't know, like if you didn't know that it was a sermon, sometimes like for 20 minutes, you could go and not know that it's a sermon, I guess it could could look like a Ted talk. Mm. It could look like (laughs) a, you know, uh, I don't know. But so there's this thing in in Kabbalah that I was learning about, which is this, this, and I never heard this in my, in going to temple. Yeah. And I wish I had, I wish that this was something that, had been taught not and and judaism has a lot of really wonderful values and stuff that were taught but there was this person who wrote this idea that everywhere you go this is a jewish person who wrote this everywhere you go there are sparks in the ground that only you can get that only you can see and take from the ground sparks and it's a metaphor he was not literally being like you can get energy from the ground but he was like there are sparks spiritually that you can find anywhere you go and you can make that place beautiful yeah and and uh it was essentially a way for him to be like any experience that you find yourself in you can elevate it Mm -hmm. in a spiritual way that's really and not in a way to where which where you're like like you know like you were saying not to where you're like i'm an angel and i'm Mm -hmm. I'm better than everybody. It's right. in this way of like, if you get, if you're on a layover and this is the example that the rabbi that was explaining it said, yeah. if you're in the airport and you're on a layover, well, God, and I don't know if I necessarily believe this, but this is the idea behind this concept, which is God put you here in this airport for a reason, not to save the world, but for you to learn something. Mm-hmm. So if you're in this airport, there are sparks in this airport that only you have only you have the ability to find and everybody else who's here has their own sparks that they're going to find. That's interesting. So while you're at this airport, make it as beautiful as you can. Mm. And it's just this like mm-hmm. that to me is a beautiful beautiful teaching. Yeah. Which is very very postmodern for Which is just to be mm. like hey man, you're and it's hard to do, but like yeah. It's mm. it, it to me, it's just another way of being like gratitude. Yeah. Have gratitude. Yes. Um, and one point that I wanted to make earlier, you were talking about all these mega churches and religion being commodity. Um, we were actually listening to a podcast together uh, in the car. Yeah. Um, about modern churches and how the like <laughs> the f- more historically fundamental sects mm. of Christianity, specifically Protest- Protestantism in yeah. the U.S., are like declining and mega churches are growing. Um, right, I, and as I far as Catholicism yeah. goes, they've been about relatively the same in America for a while. But what's interesting is that it's a positive feedback loop in both case scenarios. Mm-hmm. The more people go, the more people go. The less people go, the less people go. Mm-hmm. So the guy who was on the podcast, he's a pastor of a he's he does something. He's a he's considered himself a professor first and a pastor second because mm-hmm. I believe he was a teacher or something. Yeah. Um, and he he said that only nine people attended service the mm. last Sunday that wow. he was right. Um, but for mega churches, they have turnouts of hundreds of people, yeah. right? And then it's like, oh well, now it's a product. Now it's we have to make it. We have this band, and we do the same set, yeah. and we know that for this period of five minutes, we're going to do this slow song, and we're going to ask people to pray and connect with the Lord and. And I'm not trying to discredit what they're doing, I understand. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of people, it really does work. And in a way, they have no choice because 
as a pastor, it's like, okay, well, the only way that we can continue this operation is if we continue to make more money and we can only serve more people right. if we continue to expand. Right. And what's also interesting is that as far as outreach goes for like people leaving prison and trying to assimilate back into society or for like Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff like that, a lot of those outreach programs or like for homeless people and or for impoverished areas, you know, for like really crime ridden neighborhoods. A lot of those outreach programs are run by churches mm-hmm. um, and there aren't governmental programs to supplant those. So right. as soon as you have churches on the decline, mm-hmm. you know, and as long like as far as the guy was trying to make a point, like religion is probably going to stay roughly the same ish for a little bit, but there is a big difference in like as far as religious nuns go, mm-hmm. like as far as surveys and it's like, you know, of course it's people who take surveys, but yeah. you know, it's like as far as the number of Christians, the number of Catholics, yeah. um, number of people who go to church and everything like that. There is <clears throat> the data shows that less and less people are going to those smaller right. <clears throat> com- uh, community-based churches and going to those larger mega churches, right? Yeah. Because of those positive feedback loops on either side. Um, but one thing that we can't forget, and one thing that I want to make sure we include in this conversation is you know, like my, and I brought this up before, but like my father, he's a pastor, you know, believes in things I don't necessarily agree with. Right. But also has active missions in the Dominican Republic, Mm -hmm. donates plenty of food. They have helped countless people, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's like, yeah, without the church doing that, without them having those donations, there'd be thousands upon thousands of people who wouldn't be receiving help. It's like, Hmm. That's why I want to make sure we include in this conversation all the good yeah. that comes with these things that in a lot of ways have caused a lot of bad. Right. And there's like that balance to find. It's like the, that what we're talking about, there's things that inspire us to follow those faiths, like the human aspect of things, you know, the yeah. things that just like how you're trying to inspire empathy in people through your mm-hmm. filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I believe that that is a lot of religious leaders goal. They want to yeah. inspire empathy and hope in people who might not have it. And I, yeah. And I think that a lot of the times, like, people that are younger can kind of look at religion in a way that is a little bit cynical, you know, mm-hmm. and, and seeing the, the thing of like, Oh, well they're just, you know, playing this music that's supposed to make you feel a certain way and like thinking about it in, in an engineered way. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the, the pastors are like the people in the church world that I've like spoken, you know, to, or just like very much just trying to, you know, do good and, and, um, and visiting, you know, they're the people in the congregation when they're in the hospital and like mm-hmm. really like, yeah. like a pastor is so many more things than speaking for 50 minutes on a yes. Sunday. Yes, definitely does. It's yeah. Like, Rabbis are the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. It's yeah. like, you know, going, going out in the community and like doing mission work or like, or just talking, <laughs> talking to people or, and you know. They should be real leaders. Pa- yeah. And yeah. there's kind of like CEOs of their teams and they're like you know, making sure everyone feels good and they're moral leaders in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to hold themselves a certain way in public. Um, they're also stand-up <laughs> comics. Oh, yeah, they have to hold themselves a certain way, especially growing up with a dad who's a pastor <clears throat> yeah. and seeing the the switch when it, he goes in church and then when he leaves church, you know, right. not that it was like he was abusive <laughs> or anything, you know, but it right. was like he was... It was interesting, like when he would go into the role of being a pastor, because it's very much like the role of being a teacher. I have this sermon, which I wrote the night before, Mm -hmm. and I have to convey this message very clearly. 
and we have two services this morning. Right, I have to do it twice. Yes, yeah, yeah you know, so it's like I got to get good sleep, and you know, it's and having were, that as a role model growing up. Yeah, it was this, the stakes were high, big yeah. shoes to fill. You, you got to be in the right headspace, and yeah. like, you're doing it every week, and you're also a stand up comic. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the best pastors are past, best pastors are funny. Yeah, and I, I when I've been to Tallahassee, I've gone to some churches in Tallahassee, and I went to engage, um, and the pastor there is like, um, like actually funny. You know, mm-hmm. how like <laughs> some pastors so are like self deprecating or like dad jokes. Like this pastor was like, like tearing the house down (laughs) just super dry sarcastic delivery of like oh my gosh i was like this isn't i've never seen a pastor this funny (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome um but my youth minister was a little bit sarcastic too um but yeah i mean i have like so many good experiences in the church so many bad ones uh i've seen people speak in tongues you Mm -hmm. know um yeah uh, never seen that personally it's it's pretty fun they called it a hebrew prayer language um I guess to avoid the stigma of speaking in tongues. Probably wasn't Hebrew. Yeah. No, no, no. Maybe there was like a few Hebrew letters in there, but. No, it definitely was not actually Hebrew. Maybe it sounded like it. That's what they they said it was. But I remember one time being inside like a crystal shop and I was very like, I was like extremely, you know, I was very young and I was like very, you know, thinking about, god all the time and very like firmly held in my beliefs um and i went into like this crystal you know kind of like new age shop and i like saw the devil quote unquote like um where like there was someone giving someone a massage and i like had a vision where like i thought that i was like looking at the devil and i like ran out really scared and started crying and it was at this like interesting it was at this um of like events like a kind of like a downtown like all the restaurants and shops are open and all my friends were like laughing at me because i was like crying and i was like i saw the devil um wow so um you know that could have like i i don't know like because like i it was you know very imaginative kid obviously i don't know like what level of that was like me constructing that in the moment to like make myself see it and mm-hmm. versus how much it was like me actually believing that I saw it. I think yeah. it's, it's um, all a, you know, I would, it's a mixture of you have imagination when you're a kid and you have a culture that you're cause we can, up in we can make ourselves believe exactly. a lot of things. Yeah. What I mean is like you <laughs> know, the stuff you're taught as a stuff you're taught as a kid is going to make you <clears throat> see certain things in your imagination and, and then there's there's aspects of your brain and psychology that you don't even have control over so it's just mm-hmm. all these different things yeah and and to your point wrapping it up here um you know we we can make ourselves believe so many things and mm-hmm. i translate that into like we make our meaning right yeah. and i at least that's what i've been telling myself the past few years yeah um and so i choose to make my meaning in hope i choose yeah. to keep a positive outlook and I try to promote that through this show. Um, So that being said, I want to know what brings you hope in the world. Yeah. Um, I think, I think like when, when friends and family laugh uh, during a complicated situation or like during something that's like going wrong and then like, it's so absurd that you have to laugh at it. (laughs) I think that's like, wow. I think that is a, 
something that like I always kind of circle back to is like the idea of just of just laughter being like a mechanism to like get you through something, but also mm. just like um, just the seeing someone smile is like really nice. Like seeing like a yeah. seeing a friend smile based on something you said or like just them feeling like relief and like enthusiasm about something mm-hmm. is really nice. So that's so specific and I haven't had someone bring that up. Really? Cause that's such a thing. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> things are going so bad yeah. that you just can't help but laugh. Cause right. if you don't laugh, you'll cry. You're, and you're also, just, <laughs> there's a point where you're like, it's fucking crazy. This is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the second part to this question. Yeah. What is something now? So we know what, brings you hope mm. um what's something that you do regularly could be every day could be once a week just something that's a uh ritual mm-hmm. what's something that you do that contributes to the hope in the world you mm. feel contributes to the hope in the world mm-hmm. um i think uh it's a loaded question for yeah sure. <laughs> yeah I find um, that, like, when I'm, like, on set or, like, in the classroom and, like, it's a very stressful time, um, that, like, taking a second to acknowledge, like, something specific about someone that that they, um, like, a quality that they exhibit or, like, clothes that they have that is, that is uh, cool or, like, you know, something that, something that they clearly, like, have effort towards that is specific that doesn't get acknowledged often and like acknowledging that or complimenting someone on that person like mm. can can be like a a trigger for them to be like ah oh, yeah thank you you know like giving like, a compliment to raise morale yeah and i i think that like that's a very we're really like protective of just like being nice to people and like yeah. giving people compliments or like smiling at strangers in elevators and like mm-hmm. whenever whenever you have like a moment of connection but with a stranger where like you bump into them and you're like oh sorry and then you guys like smile or like you see yeah. someone in the grocery store or like someone helps you with something like whenever like anyone like is really warm and helps you with someone something mm-hmm. i feel like that's really Powerful. nice because a lot of the times like we kind of default like i'm gonna look at my phone and i'm gonna be like very in my own i'm gonna world. talk to the barista or the waiter in a very like transactional mm-hmm. way but like anytime you can kind of be like oh how was your day or like what's what Dude, is it what is yeah. it like yeah you know and then yeah. they're like i'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 man everybody everybody has an innate desire to be heard everybody yeah. you know well, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Yeah, I appreciate y'all letting me ramble. I had a really fun time talking about all this stuff. We so. ramble every week on this fucking thing. We, so. <laughs> we, nice for somebody else to do we it. We do, and it was, dude, I <clears throat> I loved the insights you could share about filmmaking, and I also loved that you just wanted to talk about religion, and it makes me want to start bringing it up again because yeah. a whole third of our conversation has mm. been solely on religion. Oh, you know, okay. before that it, it was an hour and then you were like, can we talk about religion? Oh, sorry. 30 minutes. Yeah. No, yeah, I, mean, I love these kind of comments. Nobody's ever just yeah. like, we're going to talk about this. I love, I love that because it makes me want to maybe bring it. Cause it's something that was definitely in the beginning of the show, but now yeah. not so much lately. Cause I find that I don't want to just be like, so what's your faith? What do you believe in? Right. But <laughs> especially if you have a lot of artists on, they want to talk about like uh, the stuff that they're, their hobbies and the stuff that they're interested in. But yeah. I feel like, I feel like sometimes I just, I t- 
talk about that so much or it's like one of those things where you know you feel it out and if somebody wants to talk about some people just bring it up and then we start talking about it yeah i think i think that's the fact that we weren't going to bring it up until you asked mm-hmm. but and i loved it it was great um and thanks for coming on again. yeah for sure yeah thank you so much for having me and uh to everyone listening hope you found some hope today Thanks for listening to The Only Constant. We hope today's episode made you feel a little more hopeful or changed your perspective in some way. If you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Only Constant Podcast or check us out at OnlyConstantPodcast.com. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating or review for the show helps us immensely. And we'd appreciate the feedback. None of this would be possible without you, the listener. Thanks for all your support. And we'll see you next time. Stay open, stay active, and keep listening.